Hi, this is Lou Pet from the International Bunch. Okay, so I'm sitting outside. It's a glorious day here in South Wales. It's highly unusual to have no rain, so I thought I'd take advantage. You might hear some background noise, maybe a dog barking or a car going past or actually, to be fair, a tractor going past, maybe a horse and carriage. It's quite typical around here. So we're going to talk today about how well do you understand researchers in China. Now, to achieve genuine connection and positive results with your customer base, you need to understand them as individuals and as a community. During our persona training and strategy sessions, one thing that we focus on is the importance of resonating with your audiences. It's not just about who they are, their needs, challenges, pain points, etc., but where they are from and what they stand for. By working with key stakeholders, you can really build a more comprehensive picture of your segmented audience and how you can make more of an impact. Now, China continues to be a strategic priority for many of our clients, so we thought it would be helpful to pass on some specific insights we've learned along the way to help you develop customised communications and more targeted activities to improve your cultural perspective. Um, If you're looking for knowledge and expertise in China specifically, then check out the interview that we did with Andrew Smith from the China Experts, the Charlesworth Group, about marketing in China, you can find that as a link in our blog post. Now, it all starts with communication. One thing we learn as marketers is that different channels can be more effective than others to specific individual groups or segments. Um, Cultural Atlas highlights some of these interesting non-verbal and verbal communication points and do's and do nots for the Chinese community. So let's have a look at some of those. Um, Communication. Posture, expression and tone of voice are more important than words. Um, To maintain politeness, you may find you do not get a direct no or negative response. Men generally speak louder than women. Standard Chinese is the official language taught in schools and is based on the Beijing dialect. Now, it's a tonal language, so that means that there's a single word. It's pronounced differently, but it has multiple meanings when you pronounce it differently. Personal space is important, especially when meeting strangers. With direct eye contact, that's considered polite. But lowering the head to lower the gaze, but still keeping direct eye contact, is considered respectful to an elder. Pausing before answering a question is important to feel that the answer has been considered. Now that's really important. Um, So the do's and do nots, give flattery where where it is due and with sincerity. Be humble when receiving compliments. So say something like, not at all, it was nothing. Keep discussions balanced and pleasant. Do not criticise or be insincere. Be patient and give people time to communicate. Rushing them can make them feel uncomfortable. Do not interrupt or fill the silence in discussions. Ask questions in several ways to ensure that it is understood. Be respectful, especially to those who are older than you. Be understanding of China's cultural differences from others in Asia Pacific, like Japan, for example. So don't generalize them into one group like Asia Pacific. Avoid boasting about achievements and qualifications and refrain from talking about politics and criticizing China. Chinese people are very proud. Now, we know from our own experiences when presenting, strategizing or training with colleagues in China 
that is often more effective to have wordier slide decks. That way, if you present something attendees do not understand, so for example, maybe you have an accent or talk quickly, they can read it from the screen. As we mentioned, you may find that those in China might be a little less forthcoming to engaging verbally when asking questions. Give them time to respond. Do not fill the awkward silences and think about how you structure the questions and how else they might engage. You could also want to write in a live chat or give them the opportunity to ask later so that they can respond in a more formal way. There goes a tractor. Making the most of online media in China. Okay, so social media suffers from the great firewall of China. With platforms like Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, as in the Western version, and Twitter being restricted. LinkedIn joined the banned list at the end of 2021. However, Microsoft has launched a China-specific LinkedIn app to help comply with Chinese legislation. If international collaboration is important to the researcher, they can use VPNs to access these sites. People saying hello there. I mean, jolly helpful when you're recording a, a post like this, but you know, at least you know it's done live and I'm not a robot. Um, we've collated some tips for engaging with different platforms as part of your China strategy. Now ensure you match channels to your segments like early career, mid-career and established researchers and also their sectors as well. Use broadcasting sites like KuShare and Bilibili and access should be done through a link instead of registration. Have a user interface with Chinese language options, often popular. Um, so, for example, simplifi simplified Chinese um, and, or traditional Chinese. Um, they're used in the written word and Mandarin and Cantonese are used verbally. Offer language and editing services to help improve researchers' confidence in writing, especially when they're submitting work. Have templates to guide researchers and help them to be more assured in anything they need to submit. And stop or reduce the shortening of words for those whose first language is not English. So, for example, using like we're and it's is quite informal, so use we are and it is. And let's look at timings. Now, when communicating um, via email, for example, Chinese researchers can expect a response in 24 hours or less, and they may chase after a day or two. So really ensure that you have at least acknowledged their communications as a sign of respect, even if you're not going to answer it straight away. And if you use services like WeChat, your researchers expect a response instantaneously. Let's talk about WeChat. Tencent and its products, including WeChat, are well established in the lives of the Chinese community. Not only is WeChat embedded in a person's everyday life in China, from communication to paying for shopping, it is also a well-used channel by publishers to engage with researchers directly. So, for example, about their article in the publication process, to run events, to engage with content like videos and for research purposes. So share news and announcements with WeChat groups. Use WeChat as a form of communication with your customer services, sales and marketing teams. Include WeChat as part of your strategy to increase usage of content. And use WeChat to share videos. Using recognised services like WeChat removes the likelihood of responses being filtered or ending up in spam by the institution. Okay, so let's talk about the publishing ecosystem in China. 
Of the thousands of domestic journals in China, only hundreds qualify on specific ranking lists. They generally have support and commitment from the local and national governments and very few are privately owned. Global collaboration is still important and recognised as such and so international journals will always have a place in China to further collaborate across the world. Chinese researchers are active users of preprint service in some disciplines and it can be hard for researchers in China to know where to publish to raise their academic reputation. Peer review has been valued more by institutions as a research activity. So interest and in gaining recognition is increasing. In addition, awards and certificates are highly valued. If the journal is recognised and respected, then the researchers are happy to contribute to the process, including peer review. The journal positional impact and the editorial board are contributing factors in their involvement. Okay, so let's look at measuring research impact. Now, Chinese institutions may have a whitelist that they encourage their researchers to submit to and publish in, and a blacklist they discourage publication in. Journal quality is primarily assessed by the Chinese Academy of Sciences, CAS, with their journal ranking, which is annual, the Chinese government ranking, and the ISI impact factor ranking. Um, in our blog post that we've linked to in the description, we also include a link to a blog post from Cactus um, about Chinese journal rankings, which is really interesting. The Chinese Association of Science and Technology and other societies also release their own journal rankings. Mm. Now, a number of Chinese organisations have taken steps to sign up to DORA and progress research assessment in the Asia-Pacific. The number of prestigious awards and achievements a researcher has are important. Chinese institutions may incentivise researchers depending on where they publish, so for example, cash bonuses. And a corresponding author may not mean the lead project author of the manuscript, but rather an early career researcher, an ECR, who is collating and managing the manuscript process for their supervisor. Some um, ECRs may co-peer review with their supervisor, which helps them to gain experience and confidence, but they won't get the recognition for the peer review work that they do because it's their supervisor who's the peer reviewer in this instance. Okay, so let's look at cultural differences for Chinese researchers. Now, we know it can be culturally difficult for researchers in China to say a direct no. In reality, they may not be able to dedicate much time to be a peer reviewer or an editorial board member. Now, ECRs may say yes, but more often feel not very confident, so will require additional support. The more established researchers are very busy, so are often asked to be on editorial boards, and though they may not be able to dedicate much time, if any, strategically their reputation helps with recruiting new members. Here are some additional sources we found for exploring the importance of the China strategy. So one of my favourite blogs is um, editage.com forward slash insights. It's a great blog with lots of really, really interesting content. Definitely recommend you have a look. Obviously, Scholarly Kitchen, that's a really good one. You can look at China-specific posts. And then in the blog post that we link to in this description, we also have found some others like The End of Publish and Perish, China's New Policy on Research Evaluation, The Chinese Scientific Publication System, Specific Features, Specific Challenges. We found a research topic on frontiers about China and the world. 
Um, analyzing the distribution of researchers in China was another. And then um, also we've got a link to the scientific journal rankings, which is specifically filtered by China. Now, um, also make sure that you do check out the interview that I did with Andrew Smith from the Charlesworth Group. It's a really, really interesting interview and they are experts. We are not. We are just telling you things that we have learned along the way that we have found um, really interesting and hope that these helpful insights will help you in your marketing and improve your communications. If you're interested in any persona training or developing your strategy, then please do get in touch with us and we will love to hear from you at team at internationalbrunch.com. Thanks so much and goodbye from South Wales and my husky voice, which hopefully I'll get back to normal very soon.